Church. Morning. It's great to be with you. Um, as Torin said, I come from Washington, D.C., and I, we think the last time I was here was January, so it has been a while. I seem to like to come to Michigan in the winter. Um, but you all have given me a beautiful gift today. How gorgeous is it today? Wow. I feel like my spirit needed a weekend like this. <laughs> I'm actually headed to Arizona after this. My mom and stepdad are in Arizona. And it's going to be a high of 45 in Arizona. <laughs> so I packed a coat, but not for Michigan. I packed it for Arizona. So hashtag 2020, weird times. It's just weird times. Um, but it's really great to be with you. We're continuing our series in Romans. As you know, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6 and 7 this morning. So hold on to your hats. There's a lot of uh, stuff we got to cover in two chapters. Um, you know, the thing with a guest speaker is you typically like give them the really hard passages. So that's obviously what Torrin's done to me. Um, so we're going to be talking a lot about sin today. Woohoo! Happy, happy Sunday. Good morning to everyone. I hope you had your coffee uh, or you brought it along. No, I want to invite us as we, as we think about sin, as we think about um, what it means to be freed from that in Christ. It's going to follow along with a lot of what Torrin said last week. But as we do this, I want to invite you to notice. I want you to invite you to notice when we talk about sin and we start thinking about how do we make choices that reflect the choices God would want us to make in our lives, I want you to notice when you start to sort of slump down in your chair. <laughs> and maybe you're watching this at home and you're slumping down on the couch or in your pajamas. Um, but I want you to notice those moments where you start to get a little bit overwhelmed and you, your feet kind of start to get a little heavy, get a little mired down in the cement. Um, because I think sometimes when we talk about sin, sometimes shame, we start to feel shame. We start to feel like, oh, I'm such a bad person, or oh, that is kind of overwhelming for me in my life, and we start to kind of slump down. And what I want to invite you to notice in that moment is to go, no, actually, if I'm in Christ this morning, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what you've been invited into is actually freedom from that. So often thinking about sin paralyzes us. I think it sometimes makes us feel stuck. But actually, when we notice sin in our lives, we notice the reality of that. If, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the second thought is, ah, but actually I'm freed from that. And so I want you to kind of take a breath and sit up taller in those moments <laughs> as, we, as we go along with this topic. So let's look at Romans 7. So Romans 7, starting in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. <laughs> Can anyone relate to this? Now, if I do what I do want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? <gasps> Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then I myself am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So, deep breath. <sighs> okay, that's, a lot of, that's a lot going on in there. What Paul's talking about here is something I think we all can relate to, right? The battle of, I, this is what I want to do, this is what I sense God calling me to do, and, and then the, the battle to actually choose that and not to fall back into patterns that you know are not the direction that God would have you go with your life. I can tell you that I felt this this week. <laughs> We're talking about, you know, a divided church. My church back home in Washington, D.C. is also really mixed politically. So on a Sunday, we're gathering with people whose actual livelihoods have to do with which party is in power, you know. Someone keeps asking me, like, what is D.C. like right now? <laughs> and I say, well, take the stress that everyone else is feeling up here in Michigan and take it just, like, up a couple notches. Because when your livelihood depends on who's the president and whether or not you're going to have to move your whole family because now you don't have a job anymore or you're going to move to the capital because now you have a job. There's just a lot at stake as well in the middle of that. So in all of that, I think it's a struggle like anyone anywhere in the church to, to love one another. You know, as Torin said, my dream is that we as a church are going to live differently going forward. My dream is that we might be able to be a place of healing and that instead of the church seeing us divided, seeing Christians divided among one another, that we might be able to find the power of the spirit that unites us and be able to be a place of healing. So that when people look around the world, they go, wow, everyone's really at each other. But then I went to this church today and they all really think different things, you know, politically, but they were really loving each other. And they were forgiving each other and they didn't feel like they had to hide who they were from one another because they had grace for who each other were. So that's my prayer for us um, in general as a church. I, I heard this week that 70% um, of what we think about is either the past or the future. That the thoughts that go through our minds, 70% of them have to do with either the past or the future. Often if it has to do with the past, it's often something we're ruminating about, right? We're sort of turning over in our minds something we said, something we did, maybe an event that happened or didn't happen, and there's some regrets in there sometimes. If we're thinking about the future, often we're worrying. I'm sure people thought about the future a lot this week. What will the future be like? That was somewhere many of our minds probably spent a lot of this last, this last week. And for many, that's fear, and that's full of the what-ifs, right? 70% of our thoughts aren't in the present. And I want to invite us this morning to come back to the present, to come back to where God is actually at work. God's actually at work in the right now. You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow, right? But we've been given today. And there's something that God wants to do in our lives, in us and through us today. There's a change that God wants to make in us and through us today. So I want to invite us back to the present, to what God is doing today. As I was praying about this passage, I felt like the Lord was saying that there are people this morning who are online or in the service that really got here by the skin of their teeth. <laughs> that when we start talking about sin, they're like, oh yeah, I had a week, you know, <laughs> I had a, quite a week. You know, I and are thinking about the choices they made and are feeling like God's probably on his last straw with them. That in their minds, they're thinking, I don't even know that I can watch church or that I can sing worship songs because what a hypocrite I am for what I've, where I've been and what I've been spending my time doing or thinking or saying to other people. And I, the Lord, I really felt like wanted to say this morning, like, it's okay, welcome back. Be in the present moment. Don't live in the past, even of yesterday. Live in today. Today is full of forgiveness. And scripture says, if we come to him, if we confess our sins, he's faithful 
He's just, he'll forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gives us a new start. And so as we start this morning, as we stay in the present, hopefully today, what we're going to be noticing is that his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. He is here, as we say in our Anglican communion service every Sunday, his spirit is here. He is here. His spirit is with us. So when we think about sin, you may know that the word sin actually comes from uh, the word for archery. It's an archery term, and it means missing the mark. And it actually comes from the word ketatha, which is an Aramaic word. Um, and obviously, Jesus spoke Aramaic, so that's part of where that comes from. But it's an Aramaic word, and basically, when in archery, when someone didn't hit the bullseye, someone would yell in the back, ketatha, to tell them, like, oh, you missed it. <laughs> you missed the mark. And that's the word for sin. So we've taken that word, and of course, we've, we've changed it a little bit to mean kind of going astray and really messing up, but ultimately, it means just missing the mark. And the invitation from God, if you're in Jesus, and that invitation is open to anyone, even if you aren't in Jesus yet this morning, you're very welcome to follow him. The invitation as we come to Jesus is to be given a new bow, right, to be given a new set of arrows, so that no longer do you need someone yelling, Kadatha! because you're missing, you're actually being given the ability to hit the target for the first time in your life. And don't we know that sense that, gosh, I just know God has more for me. I just know that God has a, a different version of Aaron than I'm living out right now. And I long, I long to fulfill the dreams and the visions God has for me in my life. But I can't get there on my own. And so when we come to Christ, he gives us the ability to aim and to hit the target in a way that we never could have before. And it's the power of God. It's not because you're very self-disciplined in yourself, although maybe you are. And it's not because you're really a loving person in yourself, and maybe you are. But all of us will miss the target without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. So, what, so we're given this new chance when we're in Christ to hit the target and the ability to do that. So there's three changes that we have in Christ that Paul wants us to kind of focus on in Romans 6 and 7. And the first one is that we've gone from being slave to free. Gone from being slaves to sin and death, prisoners of the law, as Paul says, and freed to live for Christ. So if I sum up all of Romans chapter 6 in this phrase, freed from sin, alive to God. What Paul is saying in chapter 6 is if you're in Christ and anyone is welcome to be in Christ, you are freed from sin and you're made alive to God. There is a, an ontological change, as they say in theological circles. It means something's changed. <laughs> something's changed underneath. Something's changed in your very being. And one of those changes is you're, you were a slave to sin and now you're free. Free to obey God. Romans 6 says, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And so Paul's setting up this dichotomy that actually when you become, when you follow Jesus, there's another master. Jesus says in the Gospels, you can't serve two masters. You, can, you can't serve both God and money. You, you have to choose. And Paul's saying something similar. There's two masters. Either sin is your master, and the repercussions of that is, is a journey that leads towards death, or God is your master, and that journey leads towards freedom. But that's something the enemy likes to twist around a little bit in our heads, because sometimes the thought that to come to God and to follow God means you need to obey God, that sounds restrictive, right? Someone says, oh, following Jesus, this is how you live, this is the invitation. And someone who's not in Christ might say, well, that sounds like, that doesn't sound like freedom, that sounds like more rules, 
which is definitely the way the enemy likes to twist the message of God's of freedom and life. Jesus says, yes, there is a path. This is the way, walk in it, but the path leads to eternal life. It leads to flourishing here and now. You know, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life. There's two paths, two ways that you can walk in, and one leads to death and one leads to life. Choose life, Jesus invites us this morning. Choose the path of life. Jesus was talking to a group of Jews in John 8, and he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. One of the differences between these two paths is that when we follow the path of sin that leads towards death, the wages of that, the repercussions of that, we earn what we put into it, and that is death. But when we follow Jesus, we're actually given a gift. It has nothing to do with how good we are, or there's no wages, no payment for how well you've done the job of the journey We're actually just given a straight gift, and that's the gift of grace, the gift of freedom, the gift of eternal life. There's a book that I love. It's called The Soul of Shame. And when we start talking about sin, as I said, I feel like we start sometimes to start to feel our feet going down. And I don't know if you're already starting to feel yourself sliding down that chair, starting to feel yourself thinking about, oh, man, I wish I hadn't done this this week or this thing that keeps, as Paul was saying, I want to do, you know, I want to do this, I want to follow God, but I end up doing this and it feels over, that battle feels overwhelming. And one of the things the enemy does is he loves to bring shame into the conversation, he loves to say, oh, yeah, you know what? You are a terrible person. <laughs> you, you actually, it's not just that you've done something wrong, you are wrong. And that's the difference between shame and conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit says, oh, wait, yeah, you missed the mark. You've done something that wasn't God's, God's hope for you, God's dream for you. You're not wrong. You've done something wrong. So stand back up. Pick that bow and arrow back up. Let's try this thing again. Where shame says, you're wrong. You might as well give up. It's all done. (laughs) It's all done now. God's done with you. It's too far. But that's never the voice of God. That's always the voice of the enemy. So this book is called Soul of Shame. It's written by a psychologist and a Christian, a writer and speaker. He's in Virginia. He runs a counseling practice there. And um, you've probably read a lot of Brene Brown stuff about shame. If you haven't, she's got a great podcast talking about that role in our lives of where shame creeps up. But what I love about what... um, Kurt Thompson says in his book is he, call, he creates this thing he calls the shame attendant. <laughs> it's like a little butler that goes around with us. And he says, in the morning you wake up and your shame attendant's right there. And your shame attendant says, ooh, you slept in a bit today, didn't you? Well, that's really going to backfire later in the day. <laughs> or the shame attendant says, woo, you were up late with that Netflix binge. Was that the best thing to do with your time? You know. <laughs> or, and then you get up out of bed and you walk to the mirror and the shame attendant says, Mm, COVID-19 it is. You've been packing on some pounds there, this comfort eating during this time, you know. Or he says, ooh, you were going to get to the gym yesterday. Man, that's, that's really hitting you, isn't it? You know, whatever that shameful words are. And then you get, you know, you get in the car and go to work or you click on your Zoom and you Zoom into work. And, and what he says in the book, which I love, is that all of a sudden you're there with your shame attendant 
but so is everyone else. (laughs) And so everyone else is also present with their shame attendant who's saying the things to them, trying to get them to sort of be paralyzed in the moment from hearing the voice of God. And when when he says shame attendant, he means the enemy, right? This is, he's talking from a psychological perspective, but he's a Christian too. And he'll say, this is, that's the enemy's voice. That's never the voice of God. The voice of God may be a voice of conviction, but it's always for the purpose of more freedom. And shame is always there to try to get us stuck, immovable. And also without the ability to hear God in those moments. Because all we can hear is our disappointment in ourselves. But that's never the voice of God. Paul says that is the purpose of grace. In that moment, we can mute the shame attendant and we can invite in the voice of grace again. So we've gone from slave to free. If you're in Christ this morning, that's, that is something that has changed as you've been found in God. The second thing is we've gone from defeated to victorious. Defeated to victorious. As we read this passage about Paul, didn't you, couldn't you relate to that sense of just being overwhelmed by the battle of what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do? Romans 6 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under law but under grace. You may have felt defeated before, but you are now victorious. But you might be saying to me, Aaron, I don't feel victorious. I feel like I'm losing this one. I feel like I'm losing this battle. And we've all been there before. And these are those moments where we have to stop and remember that our emotions aren't always reflective of reality. (laughs) There are times when we feel alone. God says, you'll never alone. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But certainly we have times when we don't feel God's presence near us, right? There are times when we feel defeated by sin. We're wondering if we can make if we're strong enough to make choices that are different. But actually, if you're in Christ, you are victorious. You do have what you need to live the life that God's called you to and that you long in your heart through the Spirit to live. We are victorious. I lived in England for seven years, and I grew a great appreciation for uh, Monty Python. (laughs) So some of you may be Monty Python. They're, you know, they've made a bunch of movies. They were a kind of a comic group. Um, And so I want to show you a little clip which will help illustrate this point. This is from Monty Python um, and the Holy Grail. And I will say there's some fake blood in this, but don't be scared. It's all pretend and it's all a joke. They're all playing around. It's not real. Just a warning. (laughs) None shall pass. What? None shall pass. I have no quarrel with you, good Sir Knight, but I must cross this bridge. Then you shall die. I command you, as King of the Britons, to stand aside. I move for no man. So be it. Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? 
Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that, then? I've heard worse. You liar! Come on, you pansy! <laughs> Victory is mine! We thank thee, Lord, that in thy mercy... Come on, then. What? Have at you! You are indeed brave tonight, but the fight is mine. Oh, had enough, eh? <laughs> Look, you stupid bastard, you've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look! It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> Look, stop that! Chicken! Chicken! Look, I'll have your leg. Right! Right, I'll do you for that. You what? Come here! What are you going to do, bleed on me? I'm invincible! You're a loony. The Black Knight always triumphs! Come on, then. Oh. All right. We'll call it a draw. Come, passive. Oh, oh, I see. Running away, eh? You yellow. Come back here and take what's coming to you. I'll bite your legs off. <laughs> oh, it's an acquired taste. Um... I love, I love that. What are you going to do? Bleed on me? Um, so so the, the point of that is um, I think sometimes we're like the black knight. We, you know, we, we're in this battle against sin and we think, I got this, Lord. I got this. You know, we've got no arms and legs. It's defeating us right and left. But we're like, I can do this. I can do this. Actually, we're only victorious in Christ, right? But in Christ, we can stand up like the Knights of the Round Table with our sword in hand, and we can win that battle. But it's more about recognizing that we already have what we need within us by the Holy Spirit, that is not on our own that we're able to fight this battle. One of the verses that's really helpful for me in these moments is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. It's like God is saying that in these moments, you're going to be tempted. It's going to happen. And the first thing the enemy does is tell us that, in, that, the, that actually being tempted is the problem. But it's not. Even Jesus was tempted. So we're all going to be tempted. It's all going to ha- that's going to happen to each one of us. That's not the problem. That's not saying you've done anything wrong. It's what we do in that next moment. But sometimes the enemy likes to come in and say, oh, well, the fact that you even thought about doing that, you've already done it, you might as well do it. (laughs) You might as well just go there. But no, the scripture in 1 Corinthians says there will always be a window of escape. There will always be a way out. God will always, he's never going to stick you in a corner with no way to choose him in that moment. He's always, his promise in Christ, if we're in Christ, is that he will be there in those moments to provide a way out. I had the experience this week. I was talking with a friend and I was about to disparage um, some people. We were on this phone call and we were talking and I was so frustrated and I was about to start saying some things that were not very godly. And in the moment, I just felt the Holy Spirit, a little whisper that was like, Aaron, there's a window. (laughs) Take the window. (laughs) Jump out the window. And in that moment, I was like, okay, 
I told her, I was like, well, this has been a great phone call. Okay, gotta go, you know. <laughs> Button my lip, hung up the phone, and escaped, you know, saying these things that were not very loving and, and choosing the way of, of selfishness and self-interest um, over the love that God had called me to. There is a window, there is a door for you in those moments. Um, you're not the knight on the ground with no arms and your legs. You're the one standing with a sword in their hand, ready to fight the battle, equipped with everything you need. You've probably heard about the story about the man who his, uh, his neighborhood floods. And so he's inside his house, and all of a sudden a Jeep drives by. And the Jeep is able to go through some of the water, and the guy in the Jeep says, jump in the car, I'm going to save you, I'm going to help you. And the man inside the house knows, don't worry, God is going to save me, I will be fine. So the Jeep drives on. So the water rises, and the man goes up to his second floor, and all of a sudden he sees a boat going by. There's a boat, that, and the boat's like, are you in there? Jump in the boat. I'm going to help you. I'm going to rescue you. And the man says, don't worry. God is going to save me. And so the boat drives on, and then the, the water rises. So he goes to his roof, and he's sitting on his roof, and a helicopter comes. And the helicopter says, listen, this water's going to keep rising. You've got to get in this helicopter. And the man says, don't worry. God has promised me he will save me. I'll be fine. He's not fine. He dies. And he goes to heaven. Let's pretend. He goes to heaven and he's talking to God. And he was like, God, why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you a Jeep. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. And you didn't take anything of them. And it's a silly story, but the idea is the same sometimes when we get into moments of temptation. The Lord is sending us something. He's sending us a person. He's sending us a, an alternative plan. He's sending us the Holy Spirit to say, hang up the phone, Aaron, hang up the phone. You're going down the wrong road. He's sending us a way of escape. He promises that. He promises that. So lastly, last change that's happened if we're in Christ is we've gone from being alone to being accompanied. When Paul's talking in this passage, there are a lot of eyes, aren't there? I struggle with this. I felt this. I felt this. And you sense that there's something missing in the passage. And what's missing in the passage is the we, because he's got the Holy Spirit. In these moments, it's not just I, it's we. The Holy Spirit is with us. And Romans 8 is about to get into that in a really deep, awesome way. So I won't steal Torin's thunder for next week. <laughs> but Romans 8 is about to say, listen, you've got the Holy Spirit and your whole life is different now. This uh, headline actually appeared in the Associated Press. It said, Glasgow, Kentucky. Leslie Puckett, after struggling to start his car, lifted the hood and discovered that someone had stolen the motor. <laughs> someone had taken out the motor. Sometimes that's how we are in this life of following Jesus. We're, we're turning over our ignition and we're like, why is this not working? Why am I not able to sort of make these choices? And it's because we're not leaning on our engine. The engine is the Holy Spirit. Now, the beautiful thing is if you've accepted Christ today, you've got the spirit living in you. You've got the engine. You've just got to use it. And part of following Jesus and part of the maturity in Christ is continuing to listen to the spirit, to listen, to practice listening to the spirit. So when you're on that phone call, you hear that little nudge. And it's not like a voice from heaven. It's often just a little nudge. But it, I've practiced listening to that nudge enough that it can interrupt me in moments when I really need it. But that's part of following Jesus, learning to depend on that engine not trying to run your car without any fuel in it at all. Jesus said in John 14, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, scripture tells us. There is power in God. 
Paul is saying, how can I do this alone? Who's going to save this wretched man? I love it. It's so dramatic, right, in the room. Who will save this wretched man that I am? Um, I'm sure you felt that way sometimes too. And he says, but thank goodness, God will. And how does God do that? Through the resurrection. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And again, this is a moment where our emotions can sometimes speak louder than the reality of our faith. And we can say, really? I don't feel very powerful. But there has been a change in you if you're in Jesus, where now the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that helped Jesus overcome temptation in the wilderness. And he had some big temptations of power, of prestige, of position, and yet he was able to walk away from them. And that same, spa- that same power lives in you. There's a, an old preacher, D.L. Moody, and he's this great illustration. He says, how can we get air out of this cup? So he asked his audience, how can we get the air out of this cup? And people shouted, maybe like a vacuum, you know, try to suck it out. And he said, well, yeah, but there's a chance it could shatter the glass, you know, that creating that vacuum could shatter the glass. So he took a few more ideas from people, and then he said, this is how we get the air out of the glass. Sometimes in our life with God, we try to suck the sin out (laughs) of our lives, right? We try to work really hard somehow to get the sin out of our lives or to take these choices out. And the only way to do it is actually to add the Holy Spirit in, to put in the living water of God, to invite the Spirit of God to take over our whole selves so that we can be purified and sanctified by God. You're not going to be able to do it on your own effort. And again, that's not to be feel shame about. That's just the truth, people. <laughs> that is just the truth. It's the Holy Spirit. It's much less about striving. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And much more about surrender. Surrendering to the Holy Spirit. The surrender that started when you accepted Christ. Romans 5, 5. God has poured out his love upon us by the Holy Spirit, which he has in us. He's poured it into your life. So whatever you're involved with, whatever the thing is that's causing you to miss that mark, miss God's will for you, maybe it's something you're letting into your eyes in this season. Maybe it's dishonest practices at work. Maybe it's putting things into your body that that are dishonoring God or substituting food for relationships, working late to avoid difficult conversations at home, Envy, jealousy, resentment, whatever it is, you you and the Lord know what that is. In that moment, I want you to hear the invitation from God not to feel that it's going to overwhelm you, but to remember that you can be victorious in Christ. Not to start sinking in, you know, as I even said some of those phrases, some of you were starting to sink in in your hearts. I want us to stand back up and remember that in Christ we have freedom. And if you're not in Christ today, that invitation is open to you. To, be, to have this new life, to go from slave to free, to go from alone to accompanied by the Holy Spirit in this battle which seems impossible to choose the things of life every day. As I was praying about uh, coming and praying about, Lord, what do you want to say to TLC? As I was asking the Holy Spirit, because, you know, I've, I don't know what's going on in your hearts, but the Holy Spirit does, I felt like God uh, pointed out a, someone named Nicole, a woman named Nicole, who who's been asking the Lord, and maybe you're online or here, asking the Lord, do you see me? I felt like the Lord wanted to remind 
you, Nicole, that he is El Roy, as the Old Testament calls him, the God who sees. As he met Hagar in the wilderness, he sees you even though you feel lost. Secondly, there's a guy named Chris, and you've got a decision at work you've been praying about, and you've been wondering if you're going to be able to make the decision that has the most integrity, but if you'll lose some position in your role at work. And the Lord is saying, I'll give you the ability to make the right decision, the godly decision in this moment. I will bring you favor. You don't have to worry about that. One of the encouraging things in this passage is that Paul is the, is the worst of sinners. <laughs> I don't know that personally. I don't know him. Um, but he calls himself that. He says, I am the worst of sinners. So as we list this passage and we think about places where maybe, you know, we can hear ourselves going, kata, you know, we've missed the mark. I also want us to hear that this idea of redemption and of being a new person with freedom comes actually from the person who called himself the worst sinner of all. So let's finish with this. First Timothy chapter one, Paul says this. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to the service. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners. <laughs> he wants to make sure we get that point. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord, the one who can take the worst of sinners, which you may feel like you are today, and change your entire life around by the power of God. That is the grace of God. That is our gift today. And if you aren't in Jesus yet this morning, if you're just listening in and wondering about all this, it's as easy as, a, as four words. Sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry, God, that I have not chosen you in my life. I've walked another way. Thank you for what you've done on the cross through Christ. Please come into my life, free me, accompany me, change me into the man or woman that you created me to be that I might glorify you with my life. And even as we pray that, we don't even fully know what that means when we pray it, right? We're just surrendering to what God would have, but we believe and trust that God's path leads to life. Amen? Amen.